welcome to Bethany. Welcome home. Uh, my name is Tom, for those of you I haven't met. Uh, a couple things. Uh, do a little housekeeping. Matt was talking about the softball season. Very special event. Tuesday, it was not just a win. Uh, we had the shot heard round the town. Uh, A.J. Cattle's back there holding his infant. Uh, lovely. Uh, hit uh, the, the, the home run that went out of the park, first one of the year for us. Uh, people at other fields stopped their games to come over and watch. It was in the air that long. Um, <laughs> praise God for you, man. Uh, uh, great. On the 18th, which is two weeks from today, our children's church, we're going to try something different with check-in. We're going to check in before the service outside. That's two weeks from now. Just letting you know because um, church people aren't always real cool with change. So we're trying this. Just start getting your lives adjusted, uh, and we'll see how that works. Uh, We just want to do a better job of taking care of your your kids. Uh, Barbecue at Duff's, please be out there. It's going to be wonderful. Okay. There we go. Um, happy 4th. Uh, I'm so glad you're here. We've got a lot of people traveling, but uh, a lot of uh, special friends that are back with us uh, just for the weekend, and we're so glad to see you. Uh, God bless America. I love our country. I know I didn't wear the red, white, and blue, but uh, I wore black because black is the new black, and it's slimming, uh, and the vertical stripes and everything. So my heart, uh, my, uh, I, I'm very grateful for our country. I'm very grateful for the freedoms that we have, particularly to worship uh, and to, uh, to gather in this way. Uh, some of our brothers and sisters in other countries literally take their lives in their hands to do what we take for granted. Uh, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this message is for you. If you're far from God or just checking God out, uh, this message is for you. Um, we're not going to do a message on our country uh, today. I wish you a happy fourth. It's not that I don't love our country. It's that Jesus wasn't primarily about starting a country, but building a kingdom. So we're going to talk about that. Amen. Uh, Luke 14, that's where we're going to be. Uh, this is week three of our series called uh, My Life Story. Uh, in the last two weeks, uh, we've been uh, talking about the prodigal son, and we saw God throwing some epic parties, some huge parties for people, frankly, who didn't deserve it at all, at all. So you had the younger son who went out, lived recklessly. When he was done living stupid, he comes home and the father throws a huge party, the biggest party that city had ever seen, and the son didn't deserve it, but he gave it to him anyway. That's grace. That's Jesus. That's what we celebrate. God who welcomes and lavishes love and blessings and celebration on those who don't deserve it. So he had the younger son through a party, the older son, religious, smug, stick up his attitude. Um, and uh, he was out in the field. He didn't want to come in, didn't want to participate in the party. And the father goes out and entreats him. It said, the Bible says, begs him to come in, enter into my love, enter into the celebration, enter into the feast. And he didn't deserve that. He didn't deserve that. So here we have God throwing parties and celebrations and lavishing love and and blessings on those of us who are undeserving. And uh, that is great. He, He Jesus continually showers grace. He throws parties for people he loves who don't deserve it when they come home to him in repentance for forgiveness, new life, 
and freedom. And that's what awaits everyone who repents and comes home. And that's good news. And, and knowing what the end is um, should encourage all of us, whether we're followers of Jesus Christ since prior to our birth, you grew up at the church, you, or you're far from him. Knowing what turning around and coming home and pouring our hearts out in repentance before a holy God who who loves us and wants to shower us with with his love and forgiveness and new life and freedom should encourage all of us to take that sometimes difficult step of saying, I'm wrecked, I'm broken, because that's what waits for us. Uh, It's wonderful. Uh, The Pharisees, however, however, who he was uh, talking to, uh, were really, uh, really ticked off about this because Jesus is not celebrating them right now. And they see themselves as very worthy of celebration because of their religious lifestyle, right? They're very into religion. They're very into rule keeping. They're very into checking this off, checking this off, not doing this. And, and Jesus is not making a big enough deal about them. He's making a big deal out of the broken people around them. You know, the prostitutes, the, the tax collectors, the worst of the worst, who are coming to him in droves. And they're saying, what, you're not making a big deal out of me? Now, you're saying, I'm not a church person. I'm not like that. Well, we're very similar to the Pharisees, whether we're religious and, and churchy, or whether God is, is sort of a distant thought, and we're a little bit far from him. And here's why. The, uh, the people in the general community kind of have this, this righteousness that says, well, I'm basically a good person. I'm basically a good person, which in general means um, I'm better than some of the scumbags I hang around with, right? Um, now, religious people are not much different. What we do is the same thing, but we kind of put a religious shellac on that and say, well, we're better than everybody. We're God's favorite people, right? And what he's saying is, my grace, my love is all about uh, the undeserving. And so we have to fight our hearts that want to be proud and rise up. And, and that's what we were looking at. The, the, the Pharisees were so absorbed in their goodness, right? And their obedience to the law without love that they would not repent, that they would not return, that they would not commit to the party. And, and so they were very religious and at the same time, very, very lost. Very, very lost. Um, so this week we're going to look at some other parties and we're going to look at heart issues uh, because that's what Jesus is all about. People's hearts transformed. People's hearts continually transformed. Not the outward appearance, not the outward behavior, but the heart of hearts that's inside all of us that motivates us, right? Because we can do very good things out of sinful motives. And we could do very bad things out of sinful motives. And he's looking at our hearts and, and what really messes up a lot of church people, before we dive into the text, just want to give this background. What really messes up church people of every denomination across the country, across the world, is that we mess up the gospel. We mess up what the good news is. We mess up, we miss God's Jesus' primary message in the Bible, in our hearts, throughout history, and we believe that his primary message is behave, right? Like your mom, behave. I am behaving, I'm behaving badly. No, behave, clean up your act, do better. Jesus' message is not do better, clean up your act, behave. He's looking at the heart, and the heart needs to be transformed. 
You see, you can clean up all your behavior. You can stop drinking. You can stop doing this. You can stop doing that. But unless your heart is transformed, you're, in a, you're, you're somebody who has this. You have a checklist that is all checked off and a heart that is still hopelessly lost from God. And churches across the world are full of people just like this. And, and across the country and across the world, there are people who have nothing to do with the church because they believe that's what it's about. You come there, you get self-righteous. It's all about a place of do, 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 don't, 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 don't. And that's what it's about, right? It's about the outward performance. It's about behavior modification. There's a ton. There's a mountain pile of don'ts, right? What are they? Um, don't get strange body parts pierced. Don't uh, sleep around. Don't drink beer. Don't dress like Lady Gaga. Don't dye your hair a color that's not found in nature. Don't, uh, don't uh, I don't know, do drugs. So, and then there are tons of do's. You got to do all these things to be a good person. Uh, you do attend uh, as many Beth Moore simulcasts as you possibly can. You do attend every Bible study that is advertised. You do join multiple small groups. You do um, wear your best clothes to church. You do go on mission trips. And while not doing some of the stuff on the don't list and doing the stuff on the do list may be all well and good and may line up with scripture unless we do that from the motivation of a transformed heart, which only Jesus can do, do a heart transplant, unless all of that good stuff and all of that avoidance of the bad stuff comes from a heart that has been changed and transformed and transplanted by the work of Christ, then what we have is a checklist that's full and a heart that is empty. And he's preaching to the Sadducees and the Pharisees saying, you've done a real good job white-knuckling your behavior." but your hearts are far from me. And these people who have a past that would make your stomach churn are running to me to have their hearts transformed, to have their slate washed clean by my blood, by the sacrifice I'm about to make on the cross as their substitute for their sins and rise for their salvation. They're getting it. And they're entering into the kingdom. They're entering into my feast while some of, quote, the best people are on the outside being smug. That's what we're talking about. So as you see, that applies to religious people and non-religious people who just say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty, you know, too bad God doesn't grade on the curve. You know, he doesn't. Here's the good news. That, here's the good news that it's not gonna sound like good news. The best of us are God-ignoring, God-insulting sinners. I am. I, I, I'm the chief among you. The good news is that in spite of that, in spite of that, because of his incredible love, his incredible, amazing grace that we often sing about, that he has paid the price and not come after us to beat us for our sins, but took the beating for us so that we could be forgiven and set free. There's incredible joy in that. So I want you to experience the freedom of not trying to have to earn God's favor, but live because you've received it in joyful celebration of that. That's the good news. Okay, we're going to move on. Jesus is going to look at the heart. He's going to look at the heart. Frankly, we'd rather talk about out external behavior. Why? 
because it's less personal, right? We want to look at external behavior because God says, let's talk about your heart. You say, that's not personal enough. Let's talk about going to Bible study and tithing. So, well, that wasn't fair because you really wouldn't say that because you don't tithe. Um, no, I'm sorry. That's, um, he's going to look at the heart, the heart. So remember that as we go through. Um, these particular stories that we're going to look at this morning uh, are very important because as many people read them, they don't see themselves in this story. And Jesus is absolutely speaking directly to each one of us. So we're going to pray because uh, this is way over my head because he's working on me on the same things. And then we'll look uh, section by section. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your grace. Lord, each one of us uh, needs our hearts transformed. Lord, um, that is the answer that you would uh, create new life, that you would call us to turn around, to repent, to come back, and and to be rebuilt and made into the people you created us to be in your image, filled with your spirit, to go out and share the good news with with everybody, to live um, uh, such a life that we can't live without you. Um, So we come, we ask you to open our eyes, open our ears, um, mine particularly, and, and change us, transform our hearts um, so that we can uh, receive all the wonderful blessings that you won for us on the cross in our place for our sins as our Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to take a quick look at four, uh, four reasons that the people we're looking at need their hearts transformed, and we might too. Uh, Luke 14, I have these beautiful bookmarks that uh, Noah and Eli, Ryan's sons, made for me. And if you had them too, you'd be open to that passage. So uh, thanks, guys. Uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 1 because it's real important that we get the context. Excuse me a sec. We'll say this over and over and over again, particularly to those of you who are into Bible memorization. I'm all about that. But when we interpret the Bible, we have to understand the context in which Jesus is teaching or something or God is speaking or else what we do is proof text. We make it mean what the church says it means, what, what is easy, easiest for it to mean. So here we go, uh, 14.1. One Sabbath, okay, this is a Sabbath day. Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, not a friend of Jesus, okay? Not a friend of Jesus. He's going for a dinner party at the most religious uh, people's house. Sound like fun? That's what, we're, that's what we're doing. And they were watching him carefully. Okay, this is not a dinner party. They are watching him carefully to see him mess up so that they can like slap some religious gotcha on him, right? This is not a dinner party. This is a trap. Okay, and it's not coincidental that it's on the Sabbath because they're all about the Sabbath. They want the Sabbath to mean what they want it to mean. And what they want it to mean is, is that they have a, 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 a green light to not care about people like the other six days they do. Um, so they want the law, they don't want the love, and, and they're watching him to trap him. How do you relate to this? If you're a guy, this is the first time you've met your girlfriend's parents at a fancy restaurant, and going into it, you know you're going to spill your beverage all over the table and onto her father's lap, okay? This is what this is. It's a trap. It's a trap. And, uh, but Jesus isn't going to fall for it. So what happens? Lo and behold, 
And behold, look at this, there was a man before him at the dinner party in the chief Pharisee's house who had dropsy. Now, dropsy is a disease. We don't use that word anymore. It's an edema when your heart or your liver or your kidney fail and your body just swells up, takes on a lot of fluids, and, and you're distorted. You're, you're so swollen. This guy looks like the blueberry girl from Willy Wonka, okay? And it's very interesting, very interesting that he's in the Pharisee's house because he would not be welcome there. Because here's their perspective. Anybody with a disease like that has been cursed by God. They've been rejected by God, and therefore we reject them. They would have doormen who would kick his butt up to his shoulder blades if he came within 10 feet of the front door. And he's at the dinner party. He is a shill, a plant. They have brought him in to see what Jesus is going to do on the Sabbath. Do you get this? Watch what he's going to do. Watch what he's going to do. Verse 3. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying... He knew what it was about. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? See, that's what they want to talk about. They want to talk about the Sabbath. But he wants to talk about what? Their hearts. Hearts. Okay, this is a quiz. Every question is the same. All the answer is hearts. Okay? This might be the first A some of you have ever gotten. I'm trying to help you. I I live to serve. Okay, they want to talk about the Sabbath. He wants to go deep and talk about their hearts. So he cuts right to the chase. Do you think it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent, okay? Then he took them, he took the guy with dropsy, and he healed him right then, right there, on the Sabbath, and he sent him away. Why did he send him away? Because they were suffering from a greater disease than he had. He might have had a disease of the body, of congestive heart failure. They had the heart of hearts was sick. He sent him away, right? Don't want you infected by these people. Okay, so he sent him away. And then he said to them in verse five, which of you having a son or even an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day would not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. See, the first reason that they need their hearts transformed is that they don't understand grace. They don't understand faithfulness. What they think faithfulness is, is obeying the rules, being a basically good person, but not loving the unlovable, but not loving the people on the fringes. And he's saying, if your son fell into a well, would you watch him drown because it's the Sabbath? Or do you realize that the greater law of the Lord is to love, to love God with all your heart and to love others as yourself? Would you save your son? Of course you would. You'd even save your animal that helps you make a living. You'd save your son. He's my son. I'm saving him, Sabbath or no Sabbath. That's how much he wants to rescue us. That's how much he wants to rescue the very people whose behavior makes you sick. Why should we do that? Because that's how he loves us. This guy had a physically disfiguring disease. Very ironic that the Pharisees are all caught up in the external appearance because he not only had a sickness on the inside, but he had the appearance of being sick too. Whether we have the appearance of being broken or we do a good job just mending ourselves with super glue and duct tape so that we can have a good public image. Jesus knows in our heart of hearts, every one of us, you, me, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, everybody in between, right, is broken. We need to go to the great physician and be healed. 
And that's what he offers. He offers his cross. He offers repentance. He offers new life, healing, freedom. That's why we need to do it. If we only love the people in our circle and not the people, um, okay, we'll get into that in a minute, on the fringes, then we're not following Jesus because he loves the people on the fringes and that's particularly good news for people who are like me because when we're quiet in our bed at night, we know that our heart is not connected to the holy God of the universe the way we like to think it is. We're on the fringes and he comes and he loves and restores so we're glad. And when we receive that, um, we want to go out to the people in the fringes and say, hey, there's love for you too. There's life for you too. There's freedom for you too. There's forgiveness for you too. I'm living proof of that. Second reason their hearts need to be transformed is their heart is wrong toward themselves. Verse 7, let's take a look at it. Now, uh, Jesus told a parable, a story to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying... When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down at a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I want you to read verse 11 with me. Read it out loud. For everyone, they're small words, come on. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Right? This goes against, he's turning the tables on not just the Pharisees, not just first century culture, but on our culture as well. If your primary motivation is to move ahead and to be looked at with with great admiration, God will humble you, which is a blessing, right? And if you humble yourself, he will lift you up and use you as that great and awesome tool of his, right? That, that, that the, the youth were speaking about. This is not, this parable is not talking primarily about where they sit. He's talking about what? Their hearts. It's a heart issue, right? It's not primarily what seat they sit in. Um, It's not at Thanksgiving dinner that you run in and you grab a seat at the kids' table. That's not what it's talking about because that would be easy to do. But it's a hard issue, right? So here we have these guys, right? Uh, In that time, the way to picture it is they had a U-shaped table at things like this. And if you were at the head of the table, you were the most respected. So they come, they come early so they can run to the first place and a guy sees it and he goes and he grabs the napkin and he intentionally blows his nose on that napkin. Nobody's touching that seat. That's his seat, right? Next guy in runs to the seat right next to him, licks the plate, puts it down. That's his. He's taking the best seat. Now, the only place that I know of that still plays out exactly this way, that the place of seating is the place of importance, is elementary and middle school lunchrooms. Oh, giggle all you want, but this is true. You walk in there, and, and it's all about, this is my circle of kids, right? I mean, you guys were there. This is my circle of friends. That's your circle, and you're not part of us, and we're not part of you, and that's how we like it, because... You're not as beautiful as us. You're not as popular as us. You're not as cool as us. 
And that's just as evil as the Pharisees. And before we dismiss ourselves uh, from that, um, because we're no longer in middle school, um, most of us, um, when we grow older and mature, we find different ways to do the same thing, right? We want our gated community. We're going we're gonna to socialize with those who are in our circle, who make the same amount of money we make, or slightly more, or dress the way we dress, or drive the cars that we drive, or, you know, we do all of these things. That's what it's about for us. Uh, many people want to be noticed, want to be respected, want to be thought highly of, affirmed as valuable, important, popular. Look around, you'll see this playing out all the time. All the time. Even in religious ways, I want to lead a small group because I want to be looked at as a small group leader. I want to teach a Bible study. I want to volunteer. I want to do this because I want to be seen as, as, you know, it. As all that. And we do that outside of the church, right? Primary motivation for many of us is to be seen as something. Great athlete, great student, great business person. Not for the glory of God, but... Because it gives us value and worth. It gets us noticed. So we, we're not that far removed from them. We want to get on the ladder, the social ladder, or the financial ladder, or the whatever ladder. And we're looking two rungs up because we want to get there and, and kind of look down and feel, well, we've made it, right? We've got more people below us than above us. And Jesus is saying, get all the way down on the ground so in me you can lift up everybody else. That's... That's what you're looking for. That's what you're looking for. And why do that? Why do we do that? Why humble ourselves? Because Jesus did that to save us. Jesus is our perfect example. He is the God, the eternal creator of everything. Lord over all the universe. Keeps everything. All the trains are running on time. It's a beautiful day. He made it so. He leaves his throne in glory to humble himself to take the lowest seat on the bus, in the church, in all the world, in the stadium, anywhere. He leaves his throne in glory, and, and it's, oh, wow, we're going to just stop this because that's driving me nuts. He, to take the lowest place, right? He, he's born in a feed trough to become a peasant carpenter who takes the beating for our sins in our place so that we, he lives the life and endures the punishment that we deserved, right? So that we could be set free and so that he could give us a seat with him in glory. He has humbled himself so that we could have freedom, abundant life, ever-increasing joy. And we have to know that we can't promote ourselves and promote Jesus at the same time. And so many of us are trapped in trying to do that and it doesn't work. And he's saying, I'm, you must become less so that I can be, become greater. So I don't know what it is. What's the driving force in your life? To be noticed, have people think highly of you. You want your kids to will so people think you're a good parent. Maybe we want our kids to get good grades because that makes us feel better. Maybe you're into your grades. That's a great thing to be into. Maybe you're into athletics. Maybe you're into um, business. Those are not bad things. But when they become what defines us and what gives us pride, um, they are bad things. So Jesus is saying, humble yourself as I humble myself. Third way, their hearts are wrong and need to be transformed is that they're wrong. They don't understand grace. Grace is this, undeserved favor. Look it up in the Bible. Look it up in the dictionary. Same thing. 
undeserved favor. This, all this grace of God, all the riches of God are for the undeserving. And the people are willing to come to the point in themselves where they hear the voice of God saying, you're not deserving. And that's the good news because all of my riches, all of my forgiveness, all that new life is for the undeserving. And here the Pharisees going, I'm pretty deserving. I'm, I'm pretty much all that. And he's going, I can't, I can't bless you. I won't. Because everything I have is for the people who are wrecked. And until you come to the place where you know you're wrecked, you can't receive all that. So it fights against everything in us to do that, but we need to. We need to respond to the Spirit. Here's a, here's a third section. They don't understand grace, verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, to his host, this is pretty bold. When you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return. Then you're repaid, right? But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Invite the guy with dropsy and all his friends. Invite uh, all the people that you normally reject. And why? You will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I will repay you. So what he's saying, again, it's not who's on the invitation list. It's about what? He's talking about their hearts, right, right. He's saying, you have these parties. And what you like to do is build your relationships, get your Facebook friends, get your Twitter followers, get your real life relationships with people who can somehow help you achieve what it is you want. You guys will hang out, I'm talking primarily to college and high school students, with the most angry backstabbing, mean people because they will help you be more popular. I don't get it. I say hang out with them, love on them, but don't be drawn to them for what they can give to you. We're no different. We're no different, you know? Um, If you want to know how our society works, it's the law of reciprocity or quid pro quo, which in Latin means something for something. I do something nice for you, you do something nice for me in return. Whether it's stated, it's kind of expected. What he's saying is, if you do that, you've already gotten paid. You've gotten paid in something cheap and temporary. You do something for somebody who could never repay you, and I'm going to pay you back. In something valuable and eternal. It's not that you're greedy, you're just not smart greedy enough, right? I'm offering you lasting and eternal, and you're settling for what? Cheap and temporary. So it's all about their hearts. It's all about their hearts. And we need to look at ourselves and see, and see that. You want to know how nice a person is? Quincy and I were joking. I, we were talking about um, people who seem nice, but you see them in certain circumstances, you see their heart. And, and what we were saying is, if you're not nice to everybody, you're just not nice. Right? You want to know somebody's heart. Look at how they treat people who can do nothing to benefit them. Look at people that they perceive are under them. Watch how they work with somebody who is answering a phone when they think they've been wronged at a company, right? Watch how they treat the waitress who gets their order wrong. That's the heart. Watch how they treat the youth in this church. Watch how they treat underclassmen who can't benefit them. That's the heart. Watch how they... uh, Treat people who work for them or in a, in a, in a position that's under them at, at work. Look how they treat the most sin-wracked, addicted, poor, strung-out, needy people in our town. Watch 
who they hug when they come into church. Watch who they give attention to. You'll see their heart. Are they looking for the lonely, the depressed, the, the wounded, the broken? People who are most like themselves. Ouch. That hurts me too. Because it reveals my heart. We're not just reading the Bible. We're letting Scripture read us. And frankly, when I do that, I don't like what I see. But Jesus loves us too much to leave us there. He says, that's what I'm for. That's what grace is for. That's what my sacrifice is for. I've covered all that. And I can transform your heart and change you. So your greatest desire and your greatest joy is to reach out to those who could do no benefit for you. I've never done that. I've never. Really? Have you ever gotten married? Who'd you send your wedding invitations to? There are people on your wedding invitation list, I don't care if it was a year ago or 50 years ago, that you invited because you really can't stand them, but they have a lot of money and will give you a nice gift. All right? Well, I've never done that. You ever graduated high school? Hmm. Who'd you invite to your graduation? Your family, right? But some other people that you can't stand that have a lot of money would give you a nice gift. That is the Pharisee's world. That's our world. We know where we want to go, and we know the people it will take to get there. The people it takes to get there is Jesus. What he's saying is, I'll get you there. Care about the people I most care about. The people who are the throwaways, the unnoticed. The lonely, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Why? Why should we do it? Because inside, that's me. That's you. Some of us have been better about shining up the outside. But I am crippled. And I am lame. And I'm poor. And I'm blind. And he has invited me to the banquet of his kingdom, of his love, and of his grace. And he's invited you too. And when I walk in there, and I live in there, I said, I don't have any right to be here. It's only by your grace. He said, that's why. That's why. The banquet is for the undeserving. That's the good news. The tough place we got to get to is to say, with all of my work, with all my being a basically good person, with all my church volunteerism and service, I am at the core of my heart, undeserving. And then he throws open the doors of his grace. It's beautiful, but it's counterintuitive. All right, last. Um, before we get there, this is interlude in verse 15. Take a look at this. I, I just chuckle when I get to this. Um, now, he's loving them by confronting them and saying, look, I'm not just trying to beat you down. I'm not trying to reveal this so I can leave you stuck in it. I'm, I'm, I'm showing you this so I can rescue you from it, right? And, and, and so there's a guy there at verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. No, I don't know if he said it like that. But here's the attitude, right? You have an aunt like this. I bet you do. Okay, she's not here today, so it's okay. Um, who, anytime there's any... Can't we all just get along? Can't we just stop this and get on with the meal? Stuff it under the rug. 
The guy is saying, blessed is everybody. He's going to eat bread in your kingdom. He's going, yeah, I agree. But these people who are swear that they're going to be there aren't. And I can't live with that. Because even in all of their religiosity and self-righteousness, I love them and I died for them and I want them home. So we're not going to stop yet. He's got one more story to tell. One way that their hearts are wrong and need to be transformed is because they don't understand Jesus. They don't understand the gospel. Okay, pick it up in verse 16. Here he goes. He says to them, he said to them, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Okay, right here, right here, the man represents God. It's interesting that God is continually portrayed as a tyrant, as a killjoy. Scripture, again and again, Jesus, again and again, portrays himself, portrays God, the Father, portrays the Holy Spirit as setting off celebrations all over the place, right? But you look at a lot of church people, you would swear that following Jesus is like a funeral. And you're going, amen, amen. Tell your face. I mean, really, we're hearing the good news. I mean, yeah, yeah. The kingdom of God is a party, is a celebration, and there are more people outside of it that he wants to bless than inside of it. And he's calling everybody on the inside to go to the outside and say, there's more, there's better, there's life, there's freedom, there's forgiveness, there's joy everlasting. Come on in. That's what this story is about, okay? Now, uh, I want to read a, a, a quote from Warren Wearsby. He said, the great banquet is a lavish, spectacular image of life in the kingdom of heaven. It's not just a meal. It is described as great. It literally means mega banquet. Jesus called it the great supper because it was planned and executed out of great love. It made a great need and it cost a great price. It's not just a meal that you sit down to and you gobble up and then, and then you go take a nap because of the car crash. This is lifelong, eternity long. That's what he's inviting us into. Okay, here we go. Here's the story. The man threw a great banquet, right? And at the time for the banquet, he sent out his servant to say to those who have been invited, come, come. This is when we send the Facebook alert for people who got it in the mail already, okay? Come, you've been invited. Everything's ready. Now is the time, right? 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. They meant to make excuses, and these are lame excuses. But here's, here's something I want you to keep in mind as we look at their excuses. They're not bad things. They've just made those good things ultimate things, and they become evil things because they've gotten ahead of God. So they're not coming in, and here's why. Okay, they began to make excuses. And the first said to him, I bought a field, and I must go out and seed it. Please have me excused. Okay, I'm not going to come to the guy who made the field, who made the stars and the earth and all the creatures and everything, um, because I bought this field, and my possessions are important. And so I'll get to that maybe someday, but not right now. The stuff I have is more important. Okay, not bad to have stuff. Bad to have stuff. Have it ahead of Jesus, okay? That's his excuse. The next one said, I bought five oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. This is his job, right? He's got five yoke of oxen and that's important because it's gonna help him make more money and provide for his family. The guy who made the oxen and everything that breathes is inviting him into the throne room of his presence, of his glory, of his banquet. He's saying, no, um, I'd rather have your stuff than have you. 
my business is more important. When my business takes care of itself, then I'll think about you. I've taken a good thing, made it an ultimate thing, and now it's an evil thing because it's ahead of allowing him to love us the way he wants to love us. Third one. Another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. I don't get this. You know, maybe she's just the bomb. I don't know. Bring her along, right? But what this is saying, look at your heart. Family, great thing. Marriage, great thing. We say a lot about it because Jesus says a lot about it. He wants to work in that area of our lives. But family first is not the Bible. Jesus first. You can be a better husband, a better father, a better parent, a better child by putting Jesus first and have your family come after. Again, they've taken a good thing, made it an ultimate thing, and it's become an evil thing because it's gotten ahead of God. When my kids aren't so busy, I'm going to give God the, the attention he deserves. When my wife or my husband is not so busy, good thing becomes a God thing. That's a bad thing, as Mark Driscoll says. So... The servant comes back, reported these things to his master, and the master of the house became, what? Angry. This is not ice cream Jesus who just wants to go out and buy everybody a popsicle. Okay? He wants desperately to love you, to forgive you, to set you free, give you new life, so that you can live as he created you to be. Not burdened and chained by the world and a misunderstanding of him and grace and others and yourself. And he becomes angry because he longs to love you and you won't let him. He said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Now the people who were first invited, the Jews, uh, they read all the scriptures in the Old Testament pointing to this day and here they are standing outside the feast because they won't submit their hearts to Jesus. They'll do all the right things but they won't let him be their right thing. That's too personal. He says to the servant, go out and find the undeserving who know they're undeserving. Go out and do that and bring them. Bring them in. Go and get them into the streets and the lanes, our neighborhoods. Bring in the poor, the crippled and blind and the lame and the people with dropsy and all of that. 22, the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, go, go to the highways and the hedges and compel people. What does that word mean? Beg with them, plead with them, tell them about the life that's here. Tell them about the feast of my love and my forgiveness and new life. Bring them in, bring them in. This is the homeless. This is the, the least of the least. You go, you beat the bushes and you bring them in because it tells you the father's heart right here. That my house might be filled. I'm not just talking about this church. I mean, there are a lot of people traveling and things like that, but, oh man, 18 inches of fresh powder. Great sale. First day that Hartman's is open. I'm not talking about just attending church. I'm talking about people have made excuses, you know. He's saying that the people who are truly wrecked, they're coming in before those of you who think you're basically good people, who think you're basically religious. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in you knowing that you're undeserving and I've done it all to bring you home, to save you. Again and again and again, he will say to the Pharisees, 
you religious blind people. There are prostitutes getting into the kingdom. And he uses this not because he hates prostitutes, but because they do. And you're left outside and you don't get it. I'm not looking for the best parent, the best business person, the best student. I'm looking for people who know that's not enough and know that I am enough. I need to transform your heart that my house might be full. For I tell you that none of those men and women who are invited shall taste my banquet. He's not saying this joyfully. He's saying this with heartbreak. The people who are invited, many are called, few are chosen. That's what the Bible says. He says, they're not coming because they have so many obstacles in their own perception, their own heart, their own attitude. And they said no to me. And every time they say no, because he continues to plead, it becomes easier and easier to not do it. I mean, we live the truth of this, do we not? He'll press on us to spend more time in the word, to spend time in prayer, to fall in love with him more and more and more and more, to reach out, to really invest, as, as Cedar was saying, as to really engage. And again and again and again, we say, no, no, later. I got this to do, I got that to do. Every time we say no, it becomes easier and our heart becomes hard. He's saying they're not going to come in because they're going to continue to say no later. I don't want a transplant in my heart right now. I'm going to let you out before the um, fireworks. So uh, we're winding up. You're on the guest list. If you have been rejected by every church, by every self-righteous person because of the sins of your past, Welcome to the club. Jesus is all about loving the undeserving. If you have been on the fringes in any way, by your choice or by the judgment of others, this invitation is for you. Your name is on the guest list. What he's calling us to do is RSVP. Better yet, come through the door. And that's, that door is called repentance. It's saying, I'm sorry for missing it. I'm sorry for getting it wrong. This message is for those far from God and those convinced that they're not far from God. Because those convinced that they're not far from God are in a far worse place because they don't know they're undeserving. And that's what the Pharisees do. He's going to walk out of that place and most of them will hold their ground and say, it's a shame he doesn't get it right. And he's going to say, I'm not done. I'm going to continue pleading with you. That's the invitation. You're on the guest list. Jesus wants you and me living and enjoying in his kingdom, not because we've earned it, not because we go to church, not because we carry a big Bible, not because we're better than the scumbags we hang around with, not because of that, but because we're undeserving, not because we don't drink, dance, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do, although that might be a good idea. You're invited because at the core, at the heart, when we let the Bible read us, when we let Jesus read us, we are more wrecked than we ever feared. He is more holy and beautiful than we ever imagined. And in that dichotomy, we are more loved than we've ever dreamed. That's the good news. And the invitation to them and to us is to come
come home. We've been invited to a banquet. Today we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We do that the first Sunday of every month. It's a celebration of the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ, his body broken and his blood shed for us, the undeserving. This table is for the undeserving. If you come and receive, let it be a celebration that you're undeserving, just like me. But we have a great God who loves us and has made sacrifice for us so that we forever can be accepted. If you think you're deserving, please stay in your seat. You're just eating and drinking judgment on yourselves. That's what the Bible says. But if you come, and and I hope you do, it's saying, yeah, I'm part of this fellowship of the wrecked. Fellowship of the people who've gotten it wrong. But Jesus has transformed our hearts. And in him, and only in him, can we be made right. That's a celebration. You're on the invitation list. Just like them. Just like me. What are we going to do? Let's pray.